Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast, live from Harley Street in London Town. Now let me tell you, if you ever come to Harley Street and you get the train and you get off at Baker Street, for example, it's not far to walk, do know that Harley Street is a very long street (laughs) because I'm heading to number 19 and I've just started at 150 and I'm running a little bit late so I'm going to have to up the pace. Now I am en route to one of my new podcast sponsors who are called International Andrology and they're a male fertility clinic. It's amazing when you walk down this street. I've just walked past London Ultrasound Centre and the London Sperm Bank. I used to always think of plastic surgery when I thought about Harley Street until I was working in the fertility world and now I know what an important street it is for the many fertility clinics that are here. Another thing about Harley Street is you can celeb spot or almost celeb spot. You can play looky-likers. I just saw a cut price Julie Walters and nearly got run over by a car and in my excitement dropped my Ray-Bans on the road as I was running across the road. And I'm going to talk to you more once I'm in because I can hear the wind and it's not going to sound good on this mic. So I had a good look round International Andrology. Unfortunately the doctor I was going to chat with was busy with the patient but I will be checking in with them again to give you more insight into male fertility issues. I'm sharing blog posts about them as well so make sure you follow me on my socials at Fertility Poddy on Twitter and Instagram and the Fertility Podcast has a Facebook page and here's a little bit more about International Andrology and their sponsorship of the podcast as well as one of my other new sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by International Andrology who specialise in diagnosing and treating male infertility. Around 50% of infertility issues are male factor and all too often men aren't even evaluated at the start of a fertility journey which might result in unnecessary treatments, costs and disappointment. International Andrology is one of the few specialist clinics in the UK offering a holistic approach to increase your chances to conceive naturally or via the IVF route. As well as treating the underlying causes of male infertility, their doctors have some of the highest success rates in microsurgical sperm retrieval. So, if you're looking for a true specialist to assist you on your fertility journey, visit london-andrology.co.uk today and do mention the Fertility Podcast. Bud Fertility Supplements have been created to support you in your pursuit of parenthood. Whether you're just starting out or have been trying to conceive for a while, Bud's innovative vegan formulas contain adaptogens, minerals and vitamins proven to support vital aspects of reproductive health and function. Go to littlebud.com and use the code FP20 to receive 20% off your order. So go forth and multiply. Now, before we start this episode, which is another one within my alternative parenting season, do note that my guest does talk about her pregnancy, and I just wanted to mention that in case it's a trigger in any way to where you're at. Um, But I hope you'll find it a really useful, as always, episode, especially if you're in a same-sex couple and you're looking to see how you're going to go about starting your family. Jo has a really brilliant explanation of why you need to make sure you've dotted all the uh, I's and crossed all the T's before going on this journey and getting the advice of an expert which is what my previous episode with Lois the lawyer was all about and I will put links to that and the details of the show notes will be at the end of this here we go 
So I'm just heading off to another podcast interview as part of the Alternative Parenting series that I'm making for you and it's a pretty grey day at the end of Jan. Um, good thing is my little one is at nursery, I dropped him off, jumped in the car. Traffic has been rubbish this morning, it is grey but I'm heading to a gorgeous place called Marple and it's a really pretty part of uh, Stockport to have a chat with a lady called Jo who um, is in a same-sex relationship and has a little boy and we're going to talk about her journey and some of the um, shit that went on, some of the issues that she had to overcome which I'm really looking forward to finding out more because Jo and I have been trying to talk for a little while so off I go. I'm Jo, I'm mum to Freddie who is three, he was born at the end of June 2015. I got together with my partner Jane and we were very clear from the start that we both wanted um, children or a child. <laughs> we are both on the same page. And sort of two years in, we decided that, you know, it was time to try. And obviously, as a same-sex couple, we weren't really sure how to go about that, to be honest. Um, we were quite naive about what we would need to do. So we decided to go along to an open evening at a clinic, a private clinic, just to kind of find out what, what the options were. So we did. We went along and there was quite a few other same-sex couples at that open evening and then at the end of that the nurse said she would be happy to give us a give myself because I was the one we decided that I was the one who was going to carry a blood test just to kind of assess my fertility so we had this blood test I had this blood test and um and to my horror it came back that with an indicator that I had low fertility right how old were you um 38 yeah, so I kind of thought I wasn't going to be high fertility because <laughs> of my age and everything I'd read in the papers and things, but it was a bit of a shock that I was at the lower end. So it was a bit like, okay, we just need to crack on with this. We can't wait any longer. So when she said you had low fertility, she was saying you had like a, a low egg reserve. Was it, it was a blood test. AMH. AMH, yeah. yeah. So it was the levels to suggest. Yeah, the levels to suggest, yeah. so... That was the only investigative thing I had done, which was just a pure blood test. So with that information, we decided to crack on and, and pay self funds some support, really. Mm. So through um, the clinic, which was, uh, can I name the clinic? If you want to. <laughs> Manchester Fertility, we went along and decided to go with some advice from the consultant there to just go for a straightforward IUI treatment, which we did. And then that didn't work. Um, so we went on to have six of those. So let's just, because obviously <laughs> for the IUI, you need to have found some sperm. So just talk yeah. me through that process of picking your donor. Okay, well, we wanted a donor that reflected um, both of our characteristics. Um, so it was a mixture of us both, I guess. Um, yeah. And what did you do? Did you write a list of um, your best qualities? <laughs> yeah, and it did sound like a, a bit of a pipe dream this this person that we wanted <laughs> but um no I think it was more around um it was important to my partner Jane that it didn't look too far away from what she looks like but she's very different to me I'm dark haired um she's blonde but we both have um we both tan well yeah. <laughs> and things like that um so we just kind of went for um, middle ground in that respect because it must be an interesting one if if you know, you, you both being women, that mm. it's, it's, it's obvious that a third party has been involved to anybody yeah. looking in, but you obviously still want to have that element of 
there being some similarities from an aesthetic yeah as well as then the the background of the person so when you were looking because am I right in saying that you, the the clinic will then narrow it down to a like two couple yeah they sent us um, a couple of profiles they sent us a list of sort of physical characteristics and also um, something that the donor had written down so like a personal statement a bit about their history and um, their life and kind of where they're at and that was a really good indicator around shared values and how they spoke. There were some that very clearly we read and was like, no, that's right. just not us. But there were some that really resonated with... Did you enjoy that process? Yes, but I think it can give you too much detail okay. because you start to sort of... Um, you can be easily put off, I think. Yeah. And obviously... Bad grammar. Uh-uh. Yeah, exactly. Right. And the main thing for us was healthy. And we knew that... We would instill our, both our personalities on this child and that we'd have an influence over that, having, you know, bring this child up. It was helpful and it was quite fun at the beginning. And when we first went into it, you know, we were full of hope and excitement. So every part of the process was fun yeah. and exciting. You're obviously given that information and stuff. And mm. what other support were you seeking apart from the practical side yeah. from an emotional point of view were you able to talk to any of your peers done it or were you aware of any kind of yeah, networks we yeah. had a couple of peers and friends that um, I, we knew that had gone through the process uh, but they didn't live that locally and they'd sort of gone for it a few years ago so um no one but funnily enough just by accident I met through a work situation somebody that was going through it exactly the same time as us and at the same clinic and we ended up actually giving birth in hospital at the same time wow. which okay. is very weird but we got some support through the clinic we had some counseling around what it meant to have donor sperm and what it meant as a couple and what to expect and things like that in terms of the legalities and the the anonymity yeah. element of and it actually reassured us knowing that our child could seek out a donor at 18 we'd heard from other people that those that hadn't um, had the opportunity They'd had problems with the child later in life, feeling they didn't have that choice. Mm. To and the fact that they didn't have a choice made it more of a mission to try and find or understand who their donor was. So for us, it was a relief that we knew we could offer that to any child conceived under this. That mm. was, it, they were able to contact them when they were eighteen. Yeah. So IOI, we have one one round that doesn't work, and so then mm. you said you sign up for six. Well, we ended up going, keep going back. Um, so they just didn't work. So we can go back. I think the final two, we were supported by having some Clomid yeah. to stimulate the ovaries. Um, and again, you know, so we had six goes and it's just heartbreaking towards the end. It was just not, not so working how, for us. What time period were we talking? This was over um, about a two year period. So for two years, there's mm. that constant, that kind of cycle of, yeah, of despair. That two-week wait. Two yeah, and, it was. Yeah. It was. I didn't realise until much later on what an impact that had. I used to sort of, you know, in that two weeks just was just so distracting and so awful. You try to get on with stuff. You don't do. You? you try to get on with stuff, but you just, and then it comes, <laughs> you know, and you're like, no, we, we, it hasn't worked for us yeah. this time. And I, I went on forums and I just found them really. Not good for my mental health, to be honest. There were just people in very different situations. I didn't recognise the people in these forums because, um, you know, it wasn't the exact same circumstances under which I was. We were going through the process, so I just found them even more isolated, actually, mm. than helpful. And were you able to obviously talk to each other um, yeah. in depth about it? 
And so was that your main support, the pair of you to each other? Yeah, it was, yeah. It brought us very close. Was there any conversation that Jane might try? No, because she's seven years older than me right. and, and just felt that, you know, she... Yeah. <laughs> so then did you feel that the pressure was on you or were you just it was just more frustration that it wasn't working yeah it's frustration and I f- never felt any pressure from anybody although once um Jane absolutely not she was just like you know this is if if it's not meant to be it's not meant to be but you know she always gave me hope she was always like you know we'll get there yeah um, whereas my parents because we sort of involved um our parents and told them we were trying, I suddenly felt some pressure there. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the first grandchild, yeah. and potentially only grandchild, um, because both our, our um, siblings are un- unable to have children. So, um, yeah. And so that kind of conversation, I suppose, were they fascinated by the process you were going through as well? Were you able to kind of deflect the trying by they were learning as to how it all worked or was it more just they were just wanting the outcome to be a success yeah just a success I think my mum was more open to hearing about the um process my dad just yeah, didn't I... want to know <laughs> <laughs> he really didn't want to know so what happened what happened after the IUIs what, what so, did you do IUIs we sort of ran out of money spare cash to do it we mm. just bought a house and we put down a big deposit and so we just didn't have any spare cash um so we went to our GP really just to say what what are the options for us and and also I wasn't feeling great after six goes that I just needed some support so our GP was wonderful um she was fantastic um she said the you know IVF may be the next natural sort of um, progression in this and I can see um how we can support you um in terms of the funding side of things um and it was just fortuitous really that when she explored what the um, priorities were for same-sex couples to access funding in our area, it was it was literally six funded. If you'd self-funded six treatments, you were automatically um, considered for funding for IVF. For six goes? No, for two. Right. For two goes, say, yeah. Wow, that's no. a, Okay, yeah. that's amazing though. So, so we'd already hit that point and okay we, so it wasn't like we had to then try and make up our six mm. funded goes we'd already done six self-funded goes they hadn't worked so we were put forward to receive some funding brilliant and she was fantastic she worked on a sunday to put the application together she um, emailed us throughout the process she got it in and then um it took a while for the decision to be made but we um got confirmation that we were they were going to fund us for two rounds of ivf brilliant that would be great. And do you think that there is that awareness from a same-sex couple point of view that there is an eligibility for funding? Do you think people know that once, obviously, there's the parameters that you've just explained? Mm. No, and obviously it differs in different areas. It really depends where you live and what that is all about. So, no, I don't think it's that clear. But it's worth finding out. Yes, absolutely. Having that conversation. Because I think sometimes what people might do if they've gone into the clinic is not even think to go back to their... GP, because mm. you could have quite easily said to the clinic, well, what what next? And we they would have, have said continued. IVF, and then you would have yeah. fa- tried to find the money. But mm. it's to give yourself that moment to stop and go back and see whether you can get the support was really yeah. good. What happened from then was that we changed clinic because um, we were funded, but there was set clinics that yeah. we could access. So we then moved over to Manchester Care Fertility. And so um, very different experience 
Manchester fertility is very kind of slick and I'm not saying that as a most positive thing I found it very kind of commercial and transactional and you know you go in you pay for your treatment at the desk and then you go and sit down and go and have your treatment mm. whereas care um, it's a crumbly old building in, in Manchester and but the care element of it is wonderful it feels like um, really comfortable really homely and the um, the staff and the consultant were just were just brilliant um, felt very relaxed in their care and talked us through the process really clearly and was really really good experience clinically and that happened by chance that you then moved yeah didn't you, where you found okay yeah so you then embark on the first round of IVF yeah yeah that was how that. had you given yourself any time where you just didn't do anything in between obviously you have to have the waiting period yeah you so you you told that you're eligible and then the, the process starts. Did you just go with it when you knew that you were eligible it was going to happen or did you stall it a bit? No, we just... Because it, it naturally took a while yeah, because so of the okay. decision. So, yeah, I mean, I was desperate to get, get going ready. again. Because I was just conscious of time ticking away um, and me getting older. So you're 40 at this point when you had the treatment? Um, oh, no, just before my 40th. So we went down the IVF route with donor sperm, so we had to change sperm donors because right. we went with a different clinic. Um, they had a very different approach to sperm donor. Um, it wasn't any personal profile that someone had written, it was just literally a, a basic characteristics, which we were quite happy with. Um, so there's no pictures? Did you get any no. pictures of them as a kid or anything like that? No. Right, okay. No. So you choose your donor, and mm. then you had success with that first round? Yeah, so and not many eggs, and only one survived the the window yeah um so uh, that was just completely that was really hard those yeah. few days where um, we knew we had x amount of eggs and then waiting to, to see which ones kind of to then be implanted so um i remember i was driving in the car and <laughs> the, the phone rang on the bluetooth and it was a clinic and um she she kind of said to me um we've got one you know others have not made it but we've got one and it's a good one and I was just crying in the uh, car just yeah. just sobbing going for two reasons one I had a good strong egg but the other one was like we've only got one yeah. and and she said to me it only takes one yeah but still I was really nervous about it yeah um so went in um we both went in um and had um, the egg transferred and then we went off to Cornwall for a week which was a really good distraction yeah just to be by the sea yeah. and just get some fresh air I went to the sea yeah during that period yeah and it was it was good for us and we went away with my mum and dad um it was very funny um because we got down there my mum and dad were like oh why are you so late and we said well we've been to the clinic this morning because <laughs> it was ready to transfer and and then yeah it was a great holiday and then got back and then was just in agony for a week thinking, I just want to know. Yeah. And then we, we did the test. We did the test and uh, it was very, very faint line and we thought we're not pregnant. Oh. And we found the clinic and he said, it's, we don't think it's worked. It's a really faint line. They said, there's a line there. We said, yeah. And he said, it's worked. <laughs> it's can't believe well, it. just couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Best feeling in the world. Yes. Okay, so 
you have success. Yes. And you're then pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, good pregnancy? Uh, yeah, fairly good. Not bad at all. Um, GP um, experience, brilliant. GP was just, you know, the midwifery there was fantastic. Um, really disappointed when we went into hospital situation. Right. Particularly because I had a couple of bleeds and things. But, you know, your green papers, the green book. Yeah. Um, you know, it says on the front of it, it's got all your details and it says at the bottom something about your partner yeah. and, and a name. And they just didn't read it. So I'd walk into um, an appointment within the hospital with Jane, my partner, and they just assumed it was a friend. Even right. one said, is this your mum? <laughs> right. It was just awful. Wow, I kept okay. having to come out all the time. So there's a real lack of awareness and understanding yeah it's always this assumption that you're part of a which is so dated yeah because i know from some of the conversations i've had that even um solo women who were going to you know have a have a a family on their own Mm. have found that they're still referred to as single women yeah they've chosen to do this so they're not single there wasn't someone that's left them (laughs) no and so there's obviously a lot more understanding and, and training probably about the language that's used. I thought you were going Absolutely. to say about the fact that you'd conceived through fertility treatment because I think mm. there's still issues around how mm. women who have conceived having had infertility are spoken to because they might be slightly more neurotic, you know, through their pregnancy and there I know there's an amazing midwife and more kind of coming through to want to help educate midwives mm. in the language especially the lady I'm talking about had her own infertility and had to step away from her midwifery to deal with it, to then come back, but is adamant to try and help that understanding. Yeah. So I thought you were going to say that, but that's a whole other thing to, to consider. Mm. So, And were you finding that um, when you'd come out, that then the conversation would change, or would there then be that kind of awkwardness? Or... They just feel awkward. And, right. you know, you want to walk into these um, appointments because there's obviously a level of anxiety about giving birth anyway yeah. and your pregnancy. Um, and then you're sort of having to preempt. In the end, I just used to burst in and say, "Hi, this is my partner Jane." Just to stop any of that awkwardness, just right. to kind of preempt it. Okay. But I shouldn't be thinking about that. I should just be walking in and feeling um, cared for. And so that was t- that was a tinge of kind of frustration yeah. and sadness, really, about really. that acceptance, isn't it, along yeah. the way? Yeah. Did that was that kind of a constant thing, or did were there occasions where people did read the notes and there was never any good examples. I mean, it's a shame. Yeah, there's always that slight awkwardness or slight um, or just having to, you know, spell it out yeah. as to who, what the situation was. Okay. Yeah, because you get put through so many different. I mean, I never had a consistent sort of midwife yeah. or any consistency in that respect. Yeah, from the moment I'm. You know, I presented myself at the GP as pregnant to the point of giving birth. Even during my birth, there was change of shifts and things like that of mm. people. So there's always this revolving door of people. So That's annoying. Yeah. Did you have a positive labour experience? No, no, it was quite a traumatic birth. So right. I ended up having a forceps delivery. Right. Yeah, and a lot of damage okay. <laughs> done. So, yeah, I ended up... And, so we, so there was that, and then um, we were in hospital, uh, you know, a couple, couple of 
days just while I got back on my feet. But then on discharge, paediatric nurse came around just to check on Freddie um, and discovered a, a rash on him. So um, he had an infection. Right. So um, he had to be put on to a... He had to have a cannula, which was pretty awful, oh. um, and put on antibiotics. So we ended up in hospital for a week. Right. Which um which which was great to get him better, but also it was actually good for me. Mm. We just hired a room, and so we had some privacy, and it just helped me get better. And, yeah. and actually, now the breastfeeding side of things, because um I was struggling at first, and um because I was in for a week, but the nurse and the nurses and midwives really helped me with that. Okay, so that was great. Is there anything in a same-sex relationship where so Jane's obviously around? you with your hormones and getting more pregnant is there anything would, did her body want to kind of produce you know is there any link or any science about if if a woman is with a woman you know in, in a relationship and one woman is gonna ha- have a baby does yeah. does, does anything happen because you know how they say about how women's cycles get in alignment and stuff and yeah, they, yeah I just wondered if there's any like she didn't experience giving any milk or anything no she didn't actually okay. I doubt no. it, but I think it, the hormones have to be so related to I just wondered yeah. if there was anything from the kind of environment because that'd be quite yeah but it was good I mean she did um sort of skin on skin when Freddie was born yeah. with him which was lovely because um they were really good when we went into theatre she saw Freddie before me because I was all sort of gowned out. Up, yeah, yeah out of it but um so brilliant with her and she had time with him before I did really yeah. um which is lovely so Freddie gets better, and you get yeah. better, and you come home. Yep. And so I know that there was an issue. I know that there was an issue from a legal point of view. So mm. at what point, what what has to happen then? Because are you in a civil partnership, or are you just... We're not, no. So we're not in a civil partnership. So what happened when we um, went through fertility treatment, way before we even start treatment, yeah. you have to um, fill out forms which consent that, A, that I, as... Um, the woman carrying the child um, consent to Jane being um, recognised as a legal parent, mm. and the same for Jane that she recognises herself as a legal parent, which is which is exactly what we wanted. Mm. And we we you have some counselling around that, and then you fill out some forms. So we did all of that, and that was great. We'd done that at Manchester Fertility Services as well, obviously before we started treatment there, and then we we repeated that process at Care Fertility. And then, um, so that was that, you know, forgot all about it, cracked on with it, had Freddie, all great, you know, adjusting to family life and, um, you know, brilliant, we were so happy. And then we went on holiday with Freddie and we got a call whilst on holiday um, off the consultant from Care Fertility saying um, that he'd sent some forms, there'd just been a little bit of an admin mix-up, he'd sent some forms for us to complete when we should return from holiday if we wouldn't mind just completing them and returning them. Then shortly followed by another call a couple of days later saying, actually, we've given you the wrong advice there. When they, these letters come, these forms come, just throw them away. Don't worry about them. It's all fine. So we got back off holiday and, you know, you've got a pile of posts and we saw this thing from Care Fertility, just threw it up and, and right. just tore it up and threw it out without even reading it because, you know, he's just busy, you got a little while. And you trusted and, them. Yeah, you trust them. And then we got another letter, again, a letter, no telephone call to say that there'd been an audit of um, consent forms throughout the um, care services and it had been discovered that a number of these consent forms hadn't been completed correctly. Right. And it had been... And and because it hadn't been completed correctly and they have to be done before any treatment commences or when, before any child is born, 
that um, there's some questioning over people's legal parentage because it'd been tested in court. There was a couple, you sperm, sperm donor, um, split up. There was a custody issue. One of the parents, the legal pa- thought they were the legal parent, went for custody, and they weren't the legal parent. So um, they decided to do an audit, and our forms have been picked up as not being completed correctly. Right. So there was a question over Jane's legal parent status, which was just devastating for us because we felt so insecure and vulnerable. Because if I got knocked over by a bus the next day, what would happen to Freddie? Yeah. And it, we were just really shocked. And this is in a letter. So this letter said that um, this was a case. Um, should we need to um, seek any legal advice that the clinic would be happy to pay for that? And we thought, well, yes, absolutely yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. So They'd made a mistake. They'd made a mistake. So what had happened was there were some things that hadn't been filled out correctly by them or by, by them you. right but there was also bits that we'd um omitted to do but they'd not been double checked yeah. you know and it, you wouldn't know you're not familiar with yeah. these forms you know you, you you're signing them at a really emotional time yeah um you don't you expect the clinic to come back to you if there's any issues they just disappear and you think that's it yeah they're done yeah and you have faith in that that's happened so we were really shocked by this and um, and then we actually, you know, the first thing you do is Google and we start to read about it. And it actually did hit the press sometime before this. Um, that Sir James Mumby, who's the head of the family division within the High Court, had had a couple of cases come to him and he's the one that had triggered the audit. Um, so they should have done the audit well before even we'd started treatment. So this was an issue that they hadn't dealt with quickly yeah and it should have been picked up so all clinics should have done an audit not just yeah what talking about all of them yeah yeah um so the the body that that audits them is it the um, fertility hfea yeah, yeah hfea they they were the ones who were doing the audits um and they'd already told the clinic that there was lots of mistakes and issues i think they did a kind of you know a sample audit and then they said you need to do a full audit because what it's telling us is that there's probably more parents that have got this issue so we were then handed over to a lawyer um, down in London in Shoreditch who specializes in this and had taken a couple of cases to the high court so we went to meet her and she was saying that um, based on the paperwork it's not clear whether Jane is a legal parent and there's a big suggestion well she she basically her advice was I suggest you go to get a parental order um, and you can only get those by at the high court um so and then there was talk around potentially freddie having some um needing and he was like (laughs) one yeah and him potentially being given a guardian to support him through this process and all this kind of stuff it was just awful we were devastated we were so upset and anxious about it all um and it, Gemma, our lawyer, said, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, that those forms aren't filled out correctly. You can't retrospectively do them. So, you know, but there is, it does show intent from both of you that you did sign up to this. Yeah. So, um, but I just think for further protection, if anything does happen, then, you know, you do need to get this. So we went down that route. Um, 
we built a case and we actually went to the High Court. Um, we had to get sign off from the Secretary of State and all that kind of stuff. It and was what kind of time frame did that take? It took months. Um, we went to the High Court and so James Mumby um, presided over it and um, granted Jane the legal order, which sits on a file, it's not a public record. So, um, you know, because we'd gone after Freddie was born straight to the register his birth and yeah. named Jane quite rightly as we intended that she was the legal parent. So the fact we'd done all of that, um, and they were great, the registry, that was a good experience, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we didn't feel like the only gays in the village when we uh, went to the... So during the period of time where you're going to, you're putting, getting your case together and what have you, and obviously the, there's no imminent threat mm. other than, like you said, you could get hit by a bus. Is mm. that That's the main... There wasn't any outside talk of Freddie being taken away or anything? No. It was just But there's more this whole grey area around... There was lots of people giving bad advice. The clinics were giving bad advice. Right. One of the... One um, suggestion to us was that Jane might have to adopt Freddie. I was going to ask you about that. Which because is I've a heard they have whole have, yeah. different And once they're scenario. on that adoption register, then whilst the parental order's coming through. Yeah. I've heard about that before. And that's not... It was just... And people had gone down that route and it, they didn't have to. And I don't think you come off it. I think once a child's no. on the adoption register, it stays. And that's a different status and label. Mm. And it's just, it's just very confusing. We were very confused. We were given really poor advice from the only time we got good advice was when we got a specialist lawyer on it and she told us exactly what we needed to do but um you know there's just just a lot of anxiety jane felt really um without status because she didn't feel legally protected during that time yeah and which is really you know heartbreaking because we've gone through this and, and unnecessary then, yeah an unnecessary absolutely admin error yeah. ridiculous um, the clinic weren't weren't great, um, and whilst um, we had amazing care, it was really disappointing and a shame that due process hadn't been followed just on the admin side. Mm. Um, and it was the 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 um, director responsible for that area of the work was actually our consultant. So clinically and and emotionally, it was great, but mm. then he ended up resigning from. He was to retire I think right okay so in hindsight because I as part of this series have spoken with a lawyer um, who quite clearly says that her advice is if you are looking to start your family in an alternative way mm. to seek legal advice at the start so mm. that you've covered all eventualities would that be your advice yeah it would be and I just but I, I worry about whether that would again it's a cost thing isn't it so yeah I just there's an additional cost. Yeah. I just wonder if there's just some clear guidelines as to things that you should be preempting or checking. Yeah. Just to empower you more in that process. Mm. Um, just some advice, really. You know how important these things are. Yeah. Because um, we actually discussed issues around forms being incorrectly mm. completed, um, and I wonder how commonplace it is. Obviously, the mm. audit was done, and a result was found that more care needs to be taken so it'd be interesting then to see whether the clinics do set it out a bit more yeah clearly from the outset yeah as far as the, i mean because the consent forms are, are quite epic aren't they mm. you know you have to and i remember having a chat and the nurse was like going chat 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 we weren't listening to any of it and then when we went through them it was pretty much sign 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 kind of like you say you're overwhelmed with the whole emotional side of it yeah 
but you just don't in any way assume that there's going to be a, an error or something missed. No. I suppose it's having that insight that there could be, and yeah. so to double check. Yeah. Is something that we could maybe try and get people thinking about more. Definitely, I think if if when you go into it, just be aware that not to trust everything, and you've got to put some trust in this in the system yeah, and the course. process. But I think certainly around form filling and. Because it, it just it went on for months, this. Um, you know, we were up and down to London, you know, and sitting in a, the high court is terrifying. Yeah. And we had to send pictures of Freddie to him. We had to sort of write statements and go back over how we got together. And So it's almost like you, you're guilty of something when yeah, you're Yeah, having to prove that we both um, wanted this child and that we both wanted legal sort of... Um, status over yeah. the child so yeah it was just yeah sending pictures and things of our son to a stranger at the high court was just not really in our yeah yeah so from start to finish you said he was one at the time mm. when you were away and got the call mm. can you remember when it was all resolved I think it's probably about 12 months in the end so yeah. yeah yeah so the first two years of his life are kind of yeah just so, so leaning towards how he came to be because mm. of kind of errors yeah um and then it still there was when we went to the court obviously jane got the um parental order which is great but then there was a further ke- um hearing of the um just to sort of hold them to account the clinics right um so we were sort of waiting for the outcome of that and then there was you know because James Mumby didn't want them just to get away with it, he wanted to sort of put it in the league, in the sort of public domain that yeah. they'd failed people. So you just have to, to raise make them accountable. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we got a verbal apology from the clinic director um, at the High Court. That was it? And yeah, all we wanted was that bit of paper, really, yeah. just to make sure we just yeah. get on with our lives, really. So as far as Freddie now mm. and. The conversations you have with him about how he came to be, because mm. again, as part of this series, I've put the emphasis on the importance of telling. Yeah. Um. How how do you feel about that? Where are you at with his story? Do you talk about it now? Yeah. Is it something you're thinking about? We we talk about it, and we've got a book yeah. that we got from the um, donor conception, conception network. network. Yeah. yeah. Um. And we've got other books that we've got largely American, to be honest. So um. Mm. But it's a reference, mom, yeah, mom and but yeah, we introduce it, but we don't, he's not asking any questions as yeah. such. So, and the, our philosophy is that kids want to know the truth, yeah, and that he, he will get the truth. Yeah. But I would love some more support around that, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where to get it from. I mean, I know the donor network's there, yeah, I've looked online, um, I don't know how active it is, I don't know whether there's any local groups. Um, I was interested to hear what you said earlier before we started this around the other person that you're speaking to around that storytelling and that mm. how how you do that and when and yeah yeah but definitely I would want to, I would want more information on that. Well, because you're talking about Jana and her book, and mm. one of the things that she has is kind of exercises that you can do to kind of explore the telling, and if there are any other people that need to be told. You know, mm. that, I mean, it sounds I'm sure that your family are all kind of. In the know, but yeah. as 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 Freddie grows up, if there are other people, I think it kind of covers all of that. So, 
I'll send you that book because yeah. it's interesting for you to have a look at. But it'd be interesting to find out from when we shared the story as to whether people do feel that there is enough support from a UK point of view. I know that there mm. is quite a lot and I know that the donor, um, the DCM are trying to have more content. Right. Um, okay. I don't know about the support groups, mm. so that's something that I can look into and find out more. But apart from the legal side and the, the telling the truth, any other advice that you'd give to anybody thinking of, of going down this route in, in a similar way as you? Having a good relationship, I think just being, going to your GP first off really when you embark on this is probably a good one just mm. to say this is where I'm starting rather than go straight directly to a, a private clinic because it does feel you know you don't get that rounded conversation around how you're feeling about it and your GP's your GP and hopefully um, they'll be as supportive and as helpful as mine mm. but I think going there first and saying this is what we're doing We've got some funding here ourselves to privately fund some, but should that not work, then what, what are the options if you don't feel that you're sort of um, beholden to the clinic, I yeah. guess? Yeah, so you're just a bit more informed about it, I think. I think that's probably the main thing, because we didn't do that. And it was only at crisis point where we went, okay, let's speak to our GP. Yeah, yeah. And, that's a good tip. And that was a turning point for us, really. Yeah. When you said you went to um, an open evening at that first clinic, did you yeah. go to a few open evenings or did you just find one and go to one and then start? We just went to that one, yeah. yeah. Um, we liked the feeling of it um, and, yeah, just got... Just got cracking. Got cracking, yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest kind of takeaway from all of this is to just not be afraid to ask questions along the way. I think that's it, yeah. Because it is so overwhelming and mm. it's, it's the common kind of theme with dealing with this whether you've struggled or whether you're just starting your family out in an alternative way mm. um it's the overwhelm and being able to have those free conversations yeah it's really important yeah and i think uh, there's a sense of panic i think and we just probably could have done a bit more shopping around and sort of visited a few different clinics and kind of assessed the vibe off the people within them mm. i think we should have probably gone to Manchester Fertility and then gone to care and just done a bit of compare and contrast because I do definitely, um, my experience was much better from a clinical point of view within care than it, it felt at the other one. Mm. Um, but people have different experiences and they have different feelings around things. So I think just to present yourself into these places and just chat to yeah. some of the staff there and, yeah. and see if there's how you, because, you know, keeping your stress levels down is is major um, is, is really helpful for any fertility treatment so um, finding the right environment and the right people is key so I would definitely in, if I, I could go back I'd probably have done more of that research and like work a bit more and yeah. before I embarked upon it but we kind of got into it and then it just kind of went into free flow oh we've done one here um, we'll do another here because this is where we go mm. And then next minute you've done six goes and... But you're not alone in that. I mean, that kind of... It's a kind of addiction. It's a kind of yeah. cycle of it's easier to stay. We just get on with yeah. it. We just want this outcome. You kind of... You blinkered on, on the end goal. It's, yeah. It's, I, I talk to lots of people who talk about the same thing. And the importance is really that this is your mm. story. This is your mm. kind of... Um, time to stop if you need to but yeah. it's hard it's really hard and I think that's where the emotional support mm. comes in and you talked about your mental health to a point in that you need to know the tools that you can because 
it sounds like you were still doing things, going mm. on holiday and enjoying yourself mm. along the way, not obviously partying crazily, yeah. but sadly too many people stop all of that. Yeah. So, so at least there was still that kind of balance, I mm. think, from, from what you've described. I, I think, know, obviously, you're busy working as well. So Yeah, I think, and Jane was really good at distracting me and getting me to do things, because I would have quite happily have just sat in a room until I... <laughs> and, and just tried everything and yeah. shut myself away. Did it impact on your work, did you find? It did. I was distracted. Yeah. Um, particularly that two-week wait. Yeah. I was just like, I had to readjust my diary. I was sort of cancelling things and postponing things because, you know, I was highly anxious. But that self-care is vital, which mm. you're completely right to have done. Yeah. As well. Yeah. You manage it somehow, otherwise you go mental. Yeah, exactly. And I, I you know, and I, I can't speak for Jane, but I, I do, and we've not really t- massively talked about it, but I think there should be more support for partners um, around that um, whole pregnancy and the fertility side of things, because I'm sure... She had a miserable time as well, you know. We cried together a lot. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, there isn't that support there. Yeah, because the emphasis is on on you because yeah. you're the one physically going through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was great. She, um, you know, she injected me, um, which took great pleasure in. Um, <laughs> and when I had to take one, which was like the middle of the night, and she was actually working away in London at the time. I think it was a final one and. It just happened that it was three in the morning and I had to do it. And she actually phoned me so I wasn't sat on the Aww. bathroom floor on my own doing it. So it was there for me, so that was cool. But yeah, yeah I do wonder how what her experience was. Because I know even like my other half felt pretty redundant. We'd name our injections when you had to do them too. Yeah. We'd kind of have a little game of coming up with like movie kind of characters that were mm-hmm. pairs to name them. And he didn't inject me. I, I was kind of doing it. But I know we felt pretty redundant and he yeah. was pretty ignored. I mean, you know, you talk yeah. about your experience. The men in, in a heterosexual relationship are often just even not spoken to. I mean, mm. there's the presumption put on in the same sex relationship and then they just ignored nature so I don't think yeah. the clinics have got the balance at all right no. sadly of how it's 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 more often than not two people are, are involved obviously yeah there's, there's there's solo there's solo women um but I don't know why that mm. happens that's a real it's a real oversight yeah and again unnecessary mm. so and the other thing is I just wonder if there's anything for the grandparents or wider family yeah um around it as well kind of what are their messaging to their friends and their peer group around what, how this child is conceived? Yeah. Um, because I don't, I don't know what how my parents sort of talked about it to their friends, but, um, obviously to close friends, I think and family, they all knew that Jade and I same sex relationship and stuff like that, but generally more broadly, and also be interested in how they can help Freddie with some of the questions because he may not always ask us. Yeah. He may go to them. Yeah. So is his confidants and ask them about things and I want them to feel comfortable with that messaging as well. Yeah, it's constant learning and also when they're older as well if there's other questions and Yeah. Have you asked your parents what they say? We haven't had that conversation yet, no. no. We're due to, I think. Cause we... Good to know. Yeah. That kind of toolkit. Thank you. Thank you for sharing Thank the story. You. What to make of that then? It'd be great to hear your feedback, especially if you've got any comments about some of the points that Joe raised, or maybe you found support in some of the areas Joe was saying she'd like to know 
what kind of support there was available if you're in a same-sex couple for the grandparents, for your family, do get in touch, Natalie, at thefertilitypodcast.com. And my next episode as part of this alternative parenting series is with two gay dads, Michael and Wes. So I'll be sharing their story of their surrogacy journey next week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. And until the next time, 